Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to 2021. I know that many of you are looking forward to a better year than in 2020. Many of you are glad to bid that year farewell, and you're looking for a much better year on the way. Uh, well, I don't have to remind you, there are no guarantees that 2021 will be better than 2020, but I do have a guarantee for you. I guarantee you that if we understand and if we live out the principles of our new series, we will be better in 2021 and the world will be better too. We're going to start a series that you've seen in the little video there called The King. But in order to get there, let me just remind you of where we've been in the fall. We're in a series in the fall that we called Make Way. And what we did is we looked at a few kings from the Old Testament, primarily kings of Judah, and we looked at how they pointed to and made way for the last and final king. Well, before we actually get to the new king, let me remind you of some of the lessons. Uh, I teased out, I think I have four of them here. So here we go. Just keep these, tuck these away in the back of your head, and it provides a foundation for our new series. First of all, we noticed in looking at those kings that God loves to work and God does work through flawed people. Let's say it, seriously flawed people. I don't know if you've thought about this, but that's really good news because as I look around and through the cameras online, I only see flawed people around, but God loves to work and God works through flawed people. Our flaws do not hinder God's working. Secondly, God forgives those who repent. And as we looked at those different kings, there were a few great examples, David probably being the best. David turns from his sin, puts his faith in God, and experiences forgiveness and cleansing for those sins. So I make a little confession. I hate to read about David's adultery and David's scheming and his deception and his murder. I hate that. But yet the good news is, if God can forgive all of those terrible things David did, then God's a forgiving God and he can forgive us as well. So that's kind of the good news. Third lesson, even though sins have been forgiven, there often are still consequences. And so we looked at all the dysfunction, or some of the dysfunction in Solomon's life, and we, we saw how the kingdom split and all of that wretchedness kind of comes along. The seeds for all of that were actually planted all the way back in David and Solomon's life. So forgiveness came, but there were also consequences for those sins that come as well. Fourth lesson, God will accomplish his plan. We do not hinder God being able to accomplish what he wants to do. And we could summarize all those things by saying, we need a better king. There were glimmers of hope but always we ended in dissatisfaction and failure. We need a better king. That's why I thought at the beginning of the year, we would look at the last and final king. We would look at the king to whom all those kings point. They're flawed signposts, they're broken, but they point to the last and final king. And we're gonna do that by looking at select passages from the Gospel of Matthew. So I would encourage you over the next few weeks and read through Matthew, 28 chapters, not too long. You, you know, pick one a day, you'll get through it in a month. And we're gonna look at some select chapters and see how Matthew takes up our challenge. Matthew looked back at all of that history from Israel and then said, 
boy, how does Jesus come as the last and final king? Interestingly, Matthew puts his gospel together with the beginning and the end, kind of like two bookends. It works like this. Matthew begins with Jesus' resume, and it concludes with his challenge or mission given to us. So rather than kind of just look at one this morning, I thought we would take a few minutes to look at each, the resume and the mission, the beginning and the end, and you're going to see that there's a singular theme that runs through the entire book, and that theme is Jesus is the last and final king, the king that we need to follow. Well, first of all, resume. Matthew begins his gospel by giving a long genealogy. So I'm not sure if you ever tried to read Matthew's gospel, but uh, getting past chapter one is a little bit of a challenge because as soon as you come to Matthew chapter one, you've got a long list of names, name after name after name, some of them really hard to pronounce. A few of them are familiar. Uh, here's a little bit of an of a information piece. Every king that we looked at except for, Sol or except for Saul and Jeroboam are in that genealogy because those kings we're moving and pointing to Jesus. Those king's names are in the list, right? And Saul's not because he wasn't a king that God chose. Jeroboam's not because he leaves and he takes the northern kingdom. All the other kings are actually in the genealogy. You could tease them out this afternoon. Now, you may wonder, why in the world, if Matthew wanted people to read his book, would he begin with a genealogy? Usually, uh, speakers or authors are told this. If you're going to introduce your topic, you need to do two things get everybody's attention, and then focus their attention. Because when you sit, when I walked up here, your minds are in as many places as you are. Your minds are all over the place. What do you have to do? You have to get attention and focus attention. And if we can't get attention and focus attention, if the author can or the speaker can, our minds just continue to wander. Who in the world told Matthew he should list a long uh, chapter of names to start the book? Well, it's a cultural difference. Let me explain it this way. If you're going to give your resume or you're going to introduce yourself to someone else, what do you do? You list your individual accomplishments and things about you. You would mention what schools you went to, maybe what GPA you got, maybe you have people you've met, influences you've made, jobs you've had. You will introduce yourself by speaking about your accomplishments and your personal experiences. When you're applying to a college, you don't write on your college application. Now, my great-great-great-grandfather on my mother's side, his name was, they would say, well, unless he gave a really big donation to the college, they don't care about that. It was very different back in the first century. In the ancient world, it was much more important whose family you belong to than what you individually accomplished. So what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 1 is he lays out Jesus' pedigree. And the good news is, right in verse 1, <clears throat> he gives us the cliff notes. Here's what he says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. And then what he does in all the verses that follow, he teaches out all the names in between. So let's just kind of work through that for a second. Jesus, <clears throat> the Messiah. Now, Messiah is not Jesus' last name. Messiah means anointed, or Messiah means king. So the first verse in the New Testament connects what we've been studying in the fall as it presents who Jesus is. 
Matthew begins by saying, let me introduce and present to you Jesus, the king, the last and final king. Then he mentions two names right in verse one, David and Abraham. Why would he choose David and Abraham? Well, not because they were the best known, even though they're really popular people. Those names are chosen because Jesus is the son of promises. Both David and Abraham received a giant promise from God. I gave you a little bit of the promise up here. So uh, and if you go to the next verse, here is um, the promise given to David. Now, there are lots of other places there, but here's one in 2 Samuel 7. Your house, God speaking to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God's saying to David, think about this. God says to David, your kingdom, a descendant of yours, will sit on the throne of the forever kingdom. What does Matthew say? Matthew says, I'm going to write about the son of David who will sit on the forever kingdom throne. Wow. Well, why does Abraham make the list? Abraham really wasn't Jewish until he became one. He wasn't a Hebrew. Yeah, but Abraham's promise all the way back in the book of Genesis. Next slide. Okay, there it is. Look at the last part there. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So God comes to Abraham and God says a number of things. I'm going to make you a great name. You're going to be a great nation. You're going on a great mission. And all the world, everybody in the world will be blessed through you. Matthew says, this Jesus is the one not only who will sit on the throne of the forever kingdom, this is the one through whom the whole world will be blessed. Boy, right in verse 1, right in the resume, Matthew's telling us that this Jesus is the better king that we need. After reading all those chapters and working through all those kings of the Old Testament, Matthew in the first verse says, he's here, the one who's going to sit on the throne of David forever, and the one through whom all the kingdoms of the earth are going to be blessed, he's here now. But there's something else really weird about the genealogy. Now, I'm not going to read through it, or I can't pronounce half the names. But I do want to tease out a few of them for you. And uh, here are the names that I want to mention to you. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife. Now, that may not sound really strange to you, but let me tell you, that would have been absolutely shocking in Matthew's day. If somebody's reading this and they hadn't read it before or didn't go to a Christmas service and had never read these verses, and you were sitting in a synagogue service and somebody read this, you would have almost fallen off your seat. Let me tell you why. First of all, only men made the cut for the genealogy. Only men. Because the legal line of descent came through the male. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you kind of how it was, right? And so the legal line of descent came through men. Well, those four people, and Mary's at the end, there are five women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. If only men are in genealogies, when you read Matthew chapter 1, five women show up. Yeah, but here's a worse one. If you're a Hebrew, you would expect only Hebrew names, only Jews to be in a genealogy? Yeah. At least two of those women weren't Israelites. They weren't Jews. Rahab was a Canaanite. 
Ruth was a Moabite. They were people that were forbidden for being part of the, they were forbidden to come and worship. And so in Jesus' genealogy, we have five women, and at least two or three of the women aren't Jewish. How'd they make the list? Oh, yeah. And a number of the women, now there were lots of men too, but a number of the women, they weren't really respectable. And we've looked at a number of the kings, they weren't really respectable either. But if you've got to be male and you got to be a Hebrew and you got to be respectable, they don't make the, let me just mention from these names, Tamar, I mean, it's like the worst movie you could imagine, right? Tamar pretends to be a prostitute so she can sleep with her father-in-law. In fact, the kids that she has from her father-in-law are mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew 1. What? Well, at least Rahab, she didn't pretend to be a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute, and she makes the list. Ruth was from Moab. Yeah, she's kind of a good character, but she's kind of the wrong lineage. Uriah's wife, Matthew doesn't even list her name. We know her as Bathsheba, the one that uh, David has a child Solomon with. When, he, when David's, uh, David's married to someone else, he, he takes Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. She's in the list and Solomon's in the list. What in the world is Matthew doing? We have men and women. We have Jews and Gentiles. We've got respectable and non-respectable people. Why? Oh, that's the point I just said. Jesus comes not only for the pure, not only for the Jews, not only for men, not only for women, not only for respectable people, not only for religious people, not only for moral people. Jesus comes for all people. Jesus comes for men and women, Jews and Gentiles, sinners and saints, religious and irreligious, righteous and non-righteous. Jesus comes from everybody. Jesus comes on the mission to save all of them. Right in the genealogy. They may have been shocked. I hope we just kind of smile and say, that sounds exactly like our Savior. In the genealogy, Jesus, the son of David who will sit on the forever throne, ruling the kingdom forever. Jesus, the one through whom all the peoples in the world will be blessed. Abraham's promise fulfilled in Jesus. David's promise fulfilled in Jesus. God's grace only comes through Jesus. Well, that's kind of the beginning. What's the response? This is kind of interesting. What's the response? What should be our response to Matthew's presentation of the son of David, the son of Abraham, Jesus who comes for every, what should be the response? Interestingly, Matthew tells us just briefly in chapter two, what happens in chapter two, we read this on Christmas Eve, <laughs> what happens? The Magi show up, non-Jews from another country, they show up what do they do? They worship him. Right in the beginning of Matthew, we kind of get who Jesus is and what our response should be. Jesus is the son of David who'll sit on God's throne forever. Jesus, the son of Abraham, through whom all blessing comes. Jesus, the one through whom grace flows and forgiveness can be established. How should we respond? We should worship him. A chapter and a half, we get the whole story. But we're not done. If you turn over to Matthew 28, all the way to the end of the book. At the conclusion, we see the same theme. It's almost as if, you know, the same uh, 
melody line that began the book then concludes the book. The same melody line all the way through. And so I wanted to show you, it's at the beginning and it's also at the end. Um, we actually see kind of the same old, same old as you read Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, the women ru rush to the tomb and Jesus is in the resurrection. Uh, Jesus isn't there. And an angel says to the women, come and see. And at the end of Matthew 28, God says, go and tell. Does that sound familiar? That theme not only runs through Matthew, that theme runs through the whole Bible. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. In fact, that would be the main two parts of Matthew's gospel. Come and see. What does Matthew say? Come and see Jesus perform miracles. Come and see Jesus love people. Come and hear Jesus teach. Come and see what Jesus does. Come and see Jesus be crucified for your sins. Come and see Jesus be raised from the dead. Come and experience these things through the pages of Matthew and then go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. That's the passage, just like breathing. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. I probably don't have to tell you that my guess is you're pretty good at one of those and not too good at the other one of those. Now, I'm not sure which. My guess is maybe you're better at the come and see thing. After all, you kind of put up with the weather today and you get here or you're online. And we kind of like, some of you really like the come and see stuff. We like to learn and we like to study. We like to read. We like to listen. We like to figure all this out. Notice the paradigm is not come and see and come and see and come and see and come and see and come and see. No, no, it's come and see and go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. You've got to come and see something, but then you need to go and tell something. It's both together. Others may be on the go and tell stuff, on the go and tell side, but the problem is unless you don't get fresh glimpses and fresh words, it's hard to share the same old story in the go and tell. It's got to be come and see, go and tell together. Well, how does uh, the Great Commission read, right? Well, here's how the Great Commission started. That's how it ends, right? The Great Commission. Jesus gathers his disciples. They go on into, onto the mountain in Galilee. Jesus says to the women, right, earlier in the chat, come and see. The angel says, come and see where they've laid him. He's not there. The women then are told to go tell the disciples that Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee. Interesting point. If the women didn't come and see and go and tell, we wouldn't have the Great Commission. You think Matthew's doing something rather shocking? In Matthew chapter 1, we get five women in Jesus' genealogy. And at the end, in Matthew 28, all of church history, all of discipleship hangs in the balance as the women are the only ones that have to go and tell. And if they don't go and tell the disciples, the disciples won't be on the mountain to hear. And if they're not on the mountain to hear, we don't have the Great Commission. Women, pivotal to the story in chapter 1 and chapter 28, but there are another group of disciples. <laughs> Look at this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee because the women told them, right? The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. There it is again. That's the right response. So come and see, come and see, come and see, worship and then go. But some doubted. You ever think about that? I mean, they didn't read Matthew 1 to 28. They lived Matthew 1 to 28, and some doubted. Think about the team that Jesus has assembled. 
Well, we got uh, Thomas, who's a real doubter, but others are doubting too. We got Peter, who's a failure. Judas is a washout. Um, boy, we're uh, in pretty good company, aren't we? This is a makeshift, second-rate group of people that you and I wouldn't have chosen, but they're the ones Jesus chose to come and see and go and tell. This isn't a team of all-stars. This is not a team of leaders. This is a team of learners. Come and see, come and see, go and tell, go and tell. You've got to be living that rhythm. And our doubts don't disqualify us. Our doubts don't remove Jesus from the position of who he is. Our doubts don't impact the mission. But as you come and see, your doubts will diminish. You'll get new ones, but your doubts will diminish as you come and see the team. But what's the, uh, what's the actual mission? Well, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. Now, I know you've read that before. You've heard sermons on that. If you went to Sunday school, you read the Great Commission. You've read this numerous times. But do you realize how radical that is? Jesus stands and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Could you imagine if somebody said that today? Now, I hesitate to name someone because half of you would applaud, the other half would boo and hiss. Right? But you just think of someone. Suppose anybody stood up in Philadelphia this afternoon and said, all authority in the city of Philadelphia has been given to me. We'd laugh, right? I mean, the mayor tried to cancel the mummers' parade. They had it anyway, right? They had the mummers' protest. Um, suppose that our governor would say, all authority in the state of Pennsylvania has been given to me. He closes restaurants, some of them still open. And what do you mean? Suppose somebody were to stand and say, all authority in the United States has been given to me. People would look at, crunch up their forehead and say, what? Suppose someone were to say, all authority in the world has been given to me. Somebody would probably execute that guy. How about if somebody were to stand and say, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. And we don't think he's lying. And we don't think he's crazy. Some people might, but we don't think he's lying. We don't think he's crazy. Why is that? Because of what Matthew presents. Matthew presents his resume. He comes from the right line. He comes for the right design. His teaching is with authority. His character is impeccable. His miracles are beyond anyone else's ability. Read Matthew, and all of a sudden, the all-authority, shocking, crazy statement makes perfect sense. It's not only us who believe it. We, we could be deluded, but billions of people have believed it through the centuries because he has the character, he has the resume, he has the teaching. He died and rose again and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Paraphrase, I am the last and final king. From beginning to end, Matthew says, let me introduce you to the king to whom all the other kings point, to the one to whom all the broken signposts point. Let me introduce you to the last and final king.
Well, what's our responsibility then? Well, worship, just like that. And to make disciples. To make disciples. Now, to make disciples, there's kind of evangelism, right? Helping people understand the story. That comes in the baptizing part, right? When you make disciples, you baptize and teach. That's how you do it. Baptizing is initiating. Teaching is helping them grow. Discipleship includes baptizing, getting people in, and then helping them grow on. That's both sides. Well, how do we do that as we're still living with the remnant of a pandemic? I'm not sure if you realize the timing of this. I think we've mentioned it a couple of times. The beginning of 2020, probably in February and March, we rolled out to you our priorities for the next few years, right? And looking back, I think I was laughing that morning, saying, yeah, you think they're your priorities for the next few years? Well, obviously the strategies have had to change and had to be more than tweaked, but the two values haven't changed, connect and impact. And as we connect with God or impacted by him, we need to connect with others and impact them. That's kind of how it works, right? Come and see, go and tell. There it is again. Come and see, that's the connect and be impacted by God. Go and tell, that's connect and impact with other people. Well, let's think about how can we do that in the pandemic? And I came up with kind of a little uh, formula, a, a, a little thing for you to think about. Now, if you can remember back, before the pandemic, maybe one year ago today or one year ago this month, right? Remember back. Remember how you would almost come to Calvary Church and connect with people by accident. You'd connect by convenience. You'd connect at the coffee pod. You'd connect when you open your car door. You'd connect when you sat down. Connect, connect. All of a sudden, you can't connect by accident anymore. It takes a lot of intention. Here's what I, what I want you to try. Sometime this week, or maybe later today, you think through how many casual unintentional, just by accident connections you would have made a year ago on a Sunday morning. Five, if you're an introvert, two, you were stretching a little bit. Maybe 15, right, if you're over the top. If you're a greeter or something, maybe it'd be like 25. How many connections would you make? How many opportunities for impact would you have had a year ago? All right, and then here's the assignment. You figure out this year as the pandemic winds down, how to make that same number of connections this week and every week that you used to make by accident a year ago. If it was five conversations, you'd meet somebody, or five, five things on the way to church, you five things, you figure out how to, maybe it's a phone call now, maybe it's a, you know, a visit at a distance, maybe it's sending an email, maybe it's a text. Think of how many connections you would have made by accident and then you intentionally make them in this environment. And my guess is, as we intentionally connect, the impact will come if it's in the forefront of our minds. And whether you're online or whether you're in the room, make gathering together a priority. The disciples were together. The Great Commission, we often kind of interpret it as being a commission given to an individual. It's not given to an individual, it's given to a group. It's given to the community. Make church attendance, online, in person, a priority. Figure out the number of connections that you'd make by accident. Now do them intentionally in this different environment 